Hello, I'm Maya Brown, and this is Stories from the Brink. This podcast is about giving voice to personal stories of overcoming challenges in life with grace and humor. Because stories bring us together, and together we all win. Today's episode is about a challenge related to family and identity that my dear friend and award-winning actor Hill Harper faced in 2015 when he very unexpectedly began the journey of raising a son. Hill has on his resume a long list of shows that he has starred in, best known for his characters on CSI, Limitless, which he did with Bradley Cooper, and his current show, The Good Doctor on ABC, in which he plays Dr. Marcus Andrews. In addition to his acting, Hill also is a best-selling author. He has a skincare line. We are honored to have you here with us. Thank you, Maya. It's great to be on. This is amazing. Stories from the brink. Woo! Yes. I'm excited. You're funny. What story are we going to tell from the brink? Well, I think you have a really good story mm-hmm. um, about becoming a dad because you didn't become a dad in the way that the majority of people become parents, right? So how did that happen? So it was, when was this? It was like 2015, right? Yep. It was 2015. So what was happening in your world in 2015 before, before <laughs> that? So in 2015, I had just renovated a place that I had in Greenwich Village. Um, I, I loved it. I love that neighborhood. You know, it's funny, I had done a movie with Alec Baldwin called Concussion. It's really, Will Smith was the lead of the movie, but Alec Baldwin and I had scenes together, a number of scenes together. And, you know, he, <laughs> he had said to me, you know, because I was looking for a place to move in the city. And he was like, Hill, yeah, there's, yeah, there's only one place in New York. There's, it, 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 listen, yeah, 8th Street to 3rd, 14th Street between Broadway and 6th Avenue. It's a box. It's a fucking box. And that's the only box that matters in New York. That's it. Everywhere else in New York's not New York anymore. You know, and so he actually- Good advice. Good advice. He lives at the corner of University Place and uh, 10th. And I found a place on 10th, half a block from him. And he, I think he was like, hell, I want you to move there, but it's not so close to me, you know? Were you stalking um, him? But what yeah, was, was that talking, about? Talking out um, right. But uh, those of you who know New York City, there's a wonderful restaurant that was um, profiled in a, in a pretty famous Sex in the City episode where on University Place around the corner, there's, there's a restaurant called El Cantonora, El Cantonora, or Mexican restaurant, and then there's Il Cantonori, which is on 10th, and they're literally right around the corner from each other. And I guess on the Sex and the City episode, there was like a birthday party, they got confused, and so the, 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 there's characters sitting there waiting for their birthday, they're in one restaurant, they're at the other, whatever. Point is, I lived right across the street from, from the Italian restaurant, the Afro-Mexican Italian restaurant. It's just such a great place. And I just renovated the place and I loved it. And it was wonderful. And I was doing a show that I really loved called Limitless. It was based off the movie. Um, I just finished love a that play, show. Just I finished a play that, that I loved at the public theater, which was walking distance from my apartment. It was a play I did called Toast. Um, 
with a wonderful cast. And in fact, that moment, that summer in New York was magical because Hamilton was mm -hmm. at the public theater at the same time that That's my right. play, Toast, was up. And so the energy in the public theater every night, Hamilton was the longer show. So they started at 7.30, my show started at eight. And in the dressing rooms in the public theater, you could always tune into whatever theater you wanted to put your speaker on. So I would always put my speaker on Hamilton because I just love okay. the music and, and, and love the cast and the people and the energy and the space. And they'd always auction off tickets for the show. It was just, it was just dope. It was awesome. And so I was doing the, doing that play and, um, and going in to shoot this show called Limitless with Bradley Cooper as executive producer. And, um, my friend, Kathy Busby called me. Um, she's a, a big television exec, one of the top black women in television. And she said, I want to do an intervention on you. And I was like, why? She's why? like, well, everybody thinks you got all your stuff together. You got your books and you got the this and this, but you always say that you want to have a family and this and that. And she said, I, I think that you're allowing your relationship status to dictate your parenting status. And you've always been somebody who's ne never been a conformist to traditional rules. Why are you doing that? So she's saying, because you're not married, that that was like a, some kind of an obstacle to you becoming a father, having she a family? She believed that I was operating that way. Okay. Was that true? I mean, perhaps subconsciously, and it wasn't. Okay. So she was like, since you've always talked about adoption anyway, why don't you start doing that work around adoption? Meet, you know, meet, set an intention. Cause she's like, it takes, takes at least 24 months usually in that process. Anyway, by yeah. that time, if you set that intention and you start heading down that road, maybe the relationship piece will fall in anyway, because you've started, you know, it's, it's that whole, and, you know, Abraham Hicks law of attraction mentality. All right. right. I truly believe in it. It's not, you know, I don't see that as hocus pocus. Michael Beckwith from Agape, you know, he's my cousin. So yeah. I'm all into the law of attraction. You are too in your yeah. way because Maya, you operate from the world from such a level of positivity and you attract light. Light attracts uh, light. And so you. all that's to say, she said, well, what I want you to do is have a conversation with this adoption attorney and just start the conversation, find out what's required. I mean, there's nothing wrong with starting conversation. So I said, okay, I'll do that. And this guy lays out the process of adoption and all of that stuff to me. And at the end he said, so should I send you the paperwork and forms and things to fill out? And I was like, no, I really appreciate you. Thank you for, it's great to have this information, but I'm not ready. You know, I'm a single guy. I'm trying to figure out my relationship right now. I was dating a woman at the time and we were trying to figure out what was happening with that relationship. We were going to get married or we were going to break up. And, I said, I, I think, but I said, this has been so valuable. Just thank you. And he was like, I'm going to send you the application stuff anyway. If you really want to fill it out, please fill it out, return it to me, start the process. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, fine. He sends me the email. I do not fill out any of that stuff. I wasn't ready. Why? I wasn't ready. Okay. You knew you were like, okay, this is uh, not the moment. Yeah. Oh, and so I don't think about it again, really. I was focused on trying to figure out my relationship. We decided to bring on a relationship 
counselor person to help us either move forward or break up. Wow, that's because a lot. Because clearly yeah. we weren't able to navigate that ourselves without a third party. Mm-hmm. So that, that's what, what my focus was. Mm-hmm. And the person had put us on like kind of this timeline of figuring this out. So fast forward to November in New York City. This is right before Thanksgiving. And my girlfriend at the time was in LA and I was going to fly back to LA for Thanksgiving to see her for the Thanksgiving break. But I was shooting Limitless, like I'd said. So I was there and I was actually on the set and my phone rings. It was this miserable, rainy, cold, super cold day. We were shooting this scene. And, and I pick up the phone and it says, hi. And it was the lawyer. And I felt really bad because I thought he was calling me to chastise me about not filling out the paperwork and to say that I'm a horrible human. You were brave to answer the phone. Um, well, I didn't know it was him. I probably was. Oh, okay. You know, it was actually God calling though. So I pick up the phone. He says, hey, hi. He's, you know, I, I think I immediately even said, I'm sorry I didn't fill out the paperwork. I know it was months ago, but I just not ready. And I'm figuring out my, you know, he's like, no, 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 that's not why I'm calling. I said, well, why are you calling? He said, well, there's a young woman. She has a two and a half year old daughter. She has some living challenges and she's going to have a son and she doesn't think that she's in a position to take care of him given the situation she's in. And so my immediate thought was, oh, I'm not getting this call. So he was like, is there, are you still in this space for adoption potential? I said, no, in my mind, I was thinking, oh, there must be a reason I'm getting this call. And the reason must be that I'm supposed to help out this person, you know, maybe provide housing, maybe provide right. health care, right. et cetera. Right. And so I say, well, I'm happy to help. Let's get on the phone with her and, and let's figure out how I can help out. So get on the phone with her and the lawyer. And, um, you know, it was definitely God on the phone on this call. And I kept hearing just in my spirit, this is your son. This is your son. So I didn't understand where that was coming from. And I, uh, I said, Hey, you know, I'm going to help find housing because every, you know, everybody deserves a safe place to live and, 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 and a roof of the particularly someone who's pregnant and ha- mm-hmm. already has a two and a half year old. I mean, come on, how difficult yeah. is that? And the fact that we live in a country where we let people suffer in that way, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, I mean, it, that's and that's a whole other conversation, but yeah. um, I get off the call and I say to the lawyer, I say, well, what would the process be? And then, you know, he'd says, well, she would have to approve of this, of that idea and this and that, but of you and, but as soon as that process started, I said, well, this, I'm supposed to do this. And it's clear to me that I, this is my son. And as soon as I, that commitment was made and she said, yes, I would like this to happen. My God, the fear swept over me. Like, uh, which looking back now, it's ridiculous. Like, you know, because you're a single person and you are taking on responsibility for another life. If you weren't scared, there'd have to be something wrong with you. No, no, no. It yeah. wasn't scared. I was petrified and I almost yeah. dropped out at least five 
times. Like I almost said, I can't, it's just not happening. I can't do it. What kept you in it ultimately? Friends. I got talked off the ledge once by my mom. I got talked off the ledge once by one of my dear friends who adopted Brian Mathis. Mm -hmm. And I got talked off the ledge by Kathy Busby, who originally. And so, but what I'll say about that is if you've never been a parent, we have all these fears about the health of our children and how they may be or not be, but it doesn't matter. And that's what I realize now. That's what's so powerful. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. It, what matters is that this little person is your child and no matter how they are and what issues they may or may not have, it doesn't matter because they're coming into this world and they deserve to be loved and cared for and supported. And so fears that you may have about, obviously we want as much health care and, and, and prenatal care as possible. I'm not saying that we should abdicate that and that people should have complete access to all of that. But at the end of the day, a little human coming into the world just deserves to be loved and you'll love them no matter what. So blah, 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 blah. I went from someone who had never changed a diaper. Yeah, three, what about that? Three weeks later being a dad, because that's I left that part out of the story. I remember I, we, we ran into each other because I was living not that far away from there. And you'd come over and you were telling us about Limitless and your play and everything was great. And then you called and you're like, I have to tell you something. And I was like, oh, he's getting married, going down. Nope. Something totally different. <laughs> I was like, wow. You're like, do you know any nannies? And then you were in full battle mode. I remember you were like, okay, you were investigating. You were on it. Unfortunately, you know, I was in a place where I could access help and in a situation where I could. And and the help that I got from family, friends, support, folk was invaluable. And 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 okay. moreover, one of the greatest stories, and I've actually never told this publicly, is about the breast milk. <laughs> I Ooh. wanted to have breast milk so bad that I got plugged into a mom's kind of listserv in New York that they wouldn't accept me into because I'm not a mom, but through my friend put out an inquiry to say, hey, if anybody has extra breast milk, you know, I have a friend who's a single man who adopted a child. And so I would literally show up at people's houses that I didn't know with a cooler and it was like a drug deal. It'd be like, Give me, where? Where's the product? And we we loaded in, loaded into the, the cooler, and then I'd be off, you know. And wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Why were you so obsessed with breast milk? This is a much bigger, deeper conversation, but I truly believed from a lot of the homeopathic work and people that I've worked with that you can overcome some of the prenatal deficiencies that may exist through really aggressive nutrition efforts after birth. And all the data shows that breast milk is, you know, really healthy, high, high fat content breast milk is significantly uh, healthier than formula. And isn't it really helpful in terms of like forming a strong immune system as well? All of the above. I've seen a lot of research about that. Yeah. Plus supplementing. Right. So again, I was really fortunate. There's some wonderful 
wonderful doctors and pediatricians in New York that truly believe in a combination of homeopathy with um, with Western medicine and and Eastern mm-hmm. medicine, all of these things that were super helpful, super helpful in in fortifying Pierce's health journey. And I didn't realize that so few single men adopt. It's like it's like 0.03 of the adopters are single men. So I didn't realize it's such a small group of us, but uh, it's the greatest decision I ever made. Scariest decision I ever made. Worth it in every way. And Pierce Hill Harper is, you know, my favorite human in the world. He's the cutest. I love that video of him eating the snowball. That's so cute. Go to my Instagram at Hill Harper to see that video. Him in action. Pierce Hill Harper eating snowballs. So what was day one like? So you are, you're on a show, you're on Limitless. So yeah. you're working incredible hours, really long hours, right? You're single. So did you have to, how, where did you put the baby? You had a small apartment on 10th, right? So what did, did you have to Don't try to downsize my apartment. You know, I know that you live large, but just because compared dude. to New Yorkers, it's not considered dude. small. Dude, it was a dope, it was dope, a dope bachelor pad, right? But it didn't really have room for, a, it didn't really have like a, 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 like a changing room. You know what I'm saying? It certainly didn't have a change room. It was certainly a bachelor pad. It was not. It was cool, but there was no baby room. There was not even a railing on the stairs. It was no safety. No, a lot of sharp black, cool glass stuff. Yeah. Glass and things and all Not baby safe. No, 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 not baby safe. So (laughs) what happened is that there was a general due date and I actually had booked a movie. We had wrapped Limitless for the holiday which was right around, you know, let's say mid-December, usually television mm-hmm. shows shut down right around mid-December and don't pick up until after the new year. But I booked a movie, this Tupac Shakur biopic that was shooting in Atlanta. So I flew down there to shoot that just a few days. It was a, you know, relative cameo type of role on that movie. And then I got the call that uh, she was going into labor. So I finished that movie, jumped on a plane, flew to LA, went straight to the hospital and he was born. I think I landed at 10 a.m. That I took a, like the 6 a.m. flight out of Atlanta. So it landed like 9.30 or 10 a.m., went straight to the hospital. And he was born around 5.30 or 6 p.m. that same day. And so we spent the next couple days in the hospital there. And then I still had my place in L.A. at the time. So it brought him home to my place in L.A. And now we're on the, the kind of, you know, Christmas, winter, Kwanzaa holiday time. So we stay stay there in LA the first, I want to say first eight to 10 days right. of his life. Oh my gosh. And then he and I get on a plane at some point. I'm not sure how many days exactly, but then fly back to New York. Hold and on, wait, 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 wait. Point, get on a plane. But I had You already- by yourself, having had a child for eight days, then take this child on a plane. No, 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 no. no. I'm saying, how did you manage that? That's a feat. That's like an inhuman, that's like Superman material. Like from what I understand. (laughs) Had a lot of, a a lot of frozen breast milk ready to go. Okay. You had backup. backup. So come out to New York. And by then I had already rented a larger place and moved because I knew 
I knew this was coming. So I'd rented a larger place in Williamsburg in Brooklyn and basically had moved into that place while I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my place on 10th Street. Lament. But what did Alec Baldwin have to say about this? Well, let me he tell you. very disappointed in no, you. No, it was me. I was lamenting the fact. I was like, what you am I You just finished your perfect place. I, had, I just spent years renovating this place, and I never actually, I got to live in it for like two weeks. Oh, my gosh. Um, you know, and then I, I, <laughs> I sold that place. I got rid of it because it was literally at that point, there was no, there was no <laughs> future. There'll be about 20 years before you're ready for that apartment again. Yeah. Should've, mm -hmm. I should have kept it, but that's a whole different story. I'm not <laughs> but um, so I moved to Williamsburg into a larger apartment. Right. And then I moved from Williamsburg to Green. No, I moved to Williamsburg to the Upper East Side, lived there right. for a while. Then we moved to Greenpoint, back to Brooklyn. Right. So that's that was uh, our our journey. So Pierce was a New York kid up until recently. So cool. So what I mean. What's your what's your first memory of assuming the dad role? What do you remember as like the first moment when you're like, I'm a dad? Two two memories come to mind. Him sleeping on my chest as like a tiny, tiny human, like smaller Aww. than your hand. That's so cute. And then also the utter terror that you can't tell if he's alive or not. It's like literally like I'd always walk over and make sure he's breathing because you know oh, when he's asleep. He's yeah. Breathing articles about, you know, crib death and this and that. And obviously that's that, real. That's real. Yeah. So, that's scary. So little, he wasn't in a crib yet. He was in a bassinet, but I was petrified that, you know, so I was always checking on him. Right. And, you know, you, you look back now and it's like, you know, moms who have been moms or dads to like three, four, five kids. They're like, by the four, my fourth one, I just threw him in a bassinet and was like, I'll see you in a few hours, you know? Um, yeah. Because, you but this is your first one with a three-week ramp up. You usually have nine months to get used to the idea, right? So, but children are super strong. They're resilient. They're superstars. They they can adapt. We as humans, I think, forget how powerful and wonderful and beautiful we are. And I think that we forget that about each other. Yeah. Um, I think that we should respect and love each other so much because we all, all of us are so resilient and beautiful. We've been through so much. If you are a living human, breathing human, you're like, it's like a one in a trillion odds that you've made it this far. And so we're just all so blessed. We're also connected. Dr. King said, we're all tied together in a single garment of mutual destiny. And I totally believe that. And being a father has just reinforced that. That's so great. So you get through the initial period together, but you're still, you work a lot. You are like one of the most focused, industrious people that I have ever known. And um, I think that's one of the reasons that you're always very successful. Um, how did you change your order of priorities? Did you feel like you had to, or did it just kind of happen for you? There's no question that things changed through a certain period, right? Because there's a period where the baby requires all full-time attention. Right? Mm -hmm. But that starts to ease off over time. There's a window of that period, right? And that starts to ease off a little bit at a time. And so during that window of time, yeah, it was full-time parent mode, dad mode. And, and I don't want to undercut this. Yeah, There's a privilege that I had that most people don't have. What's that? The ability to hire help. Right. And so 
that is a privilege. It has to be stated. Mm -hmm. I had the ability and a blessing and the good fortune yeah. to be able to hire help, which 99% of the people in this world don't mm -hmm. have that privilege. And we have to always acknowledge privilege yeah. when we have the opportunity because Bravo. it's genuine. It's disingenuous mm -hmm. if we didn't do that. Bravo. No, that's very true. And it's wonderful that you were able to do that for yourself and for Pierce. And you may not like this, but I think of you as kind of a perfectionist. I think that you really hold yourself to very high standards and you always have a number of things, projects that you're advancing at the same time, right? Mm -hmm. So with parenting, how do you reconcile that? Because kids, as you well know, they have their own minds, right? Sometimes they want to be on the program and sometimes they are not on the program. So how do you like, how did you modulate that? Well, I, I, I think at least for me, I have to acknowledge first that Pierce is his own human. Right. You know, I'm not, I'm not programming a computer. I'm not writing right. codes. I'm, right. I'm, my goal is to hopefully create an opportunity or a playground such, so to speak, where he can feel safe, feel secure to be who he manifests and what he wants to be. Right. And part of him forming that, him watching me, how I live my life. So if I stop living my life, then in everything, certainly intrinsically, everything is about him, but I want him to see me still living my life. So he realizes, oh, I can be passionate about something or lean into something. And hopefully he picks that up. And, and also I'm, I'm trying to trust that what some of my friends tell me about parenting, I'm still learning. I'm still trying to figure it out. It's not easy raising a black boy in America and all the challenges in trying to figure out how to balance the reality of how this society in this country comes at black males and all of the institutional and systemic racism that is pointed at young black men and black men in general versus just the joy and frivolity and innocence of being a child. So I've had to figure out that navigation and, and ju just do my best. Many people have different approaches or some people like they're, they put it in a child's face and then this is the reality and this is the situation. And other people are like, oh, I'm gonna completely protect my child from that. And, and I haven't figured out that exact balance. I also haven't figured out all the balance around trusting you know, I don't want to end up with a, a complete spoiled brat. I don't want, I, I don't want him to feel so much privilege and, you know, but a part of me is like, there's nothing wrong with spoiling a little black boy. You know, he can be a prince and feel like a prince. And, and he's so cute. How can you say no to him? Yeah. Well, you don't, you don't see him when he's smacking me in my face. That's why it's good to be the auntie. You can yeah. just leave. Yeah. You can leave. Exactly. The abuse that I suffer at the hands he of the you up. That cute little angel. Yes. No. That's right. And and it's like you know, um, I don't. I, I can't go back to the child rearing rearing style of my father, which was like I literally am going to whoop your ass, and uh, and that's my father's style. They don't allow that anymore. And, and no. Allow. So you can't I do that. come up with alternative penalties that he does not respect at all. Like what? Like timeout. He's like he laughs in the face of timeout. If you tell him he has to go and like be by himself, he starts laughing. He laughs and then he'll spit at you. <laughs> and then he'll he kick you. Spits at you? 
Oh, he'll do anything because he's. Hey, listen. You hit him with it's, a pillow, or like, days, what do you do, man? They know there's no consequences. Yeah, they know. He knows he's safe. He knows you love him. You can't hide that. Yeah, can't hide Doesn't work. Doesn't care. Yeah. Doesn't care. I'm betting on people keep telling me that around seven or eight, there's yeah. a switch and they become really thoughtful, wonderful humans. Because he's like six now, right? Five. five. He's five. Yeah. I think, you know, he'll grow into it. We'll give him some time. So you've had five years of this new kind of life. What do you think that it's brought to your work? Do you think that that being a father, that having this experience has brought a different dimension to what you've been doing for such a long time so well? It's, it's strange. It's, it's just added a layer of depth around the need to want to create. I've always wanted to have positive impact and legacy. And I've always wanted to do well and do good. Mm -hmm. um, that's never changed. And that still hasn't changed. It's just, it's just really deep in that desire. I'm not interested in things that are just about making money, you know, and, and not interested in things that are just, I'm interested in things that you can do well and do good. Like, how can we dial in? Because if, you, if you're not doing good, then you, why are you doing it? And if you're not doing well, then there's no sustainability. Of right. It. It's just, it's just temporary. So there's no legacy. Mm -hmm. So I want to create institutions. I want to play roles. I want to be involved in projects, have businesses that do well and do good. Right. Have impact, positive impact, and then have legacy, sustain, sustainability. What are you working on? I've heard rumors that you've yeah. got a big project that you're working on right now. Massive. Called Massive Black, Black, called Black Wall, Wall Street. Street. Now, yes. what is what is this about? Black Wall Street is a platform that is going to be on the web. It's going to be iOS and Android. Please, if you're listening to this, please, please, please either go to the landing page at theblackwallstreet.com okay. and sign up. Or if you're hearing this at a point where we are live, go, you know, go in and open up an account at the Black Wall Street. And what we're doing, we're, we're, we're borrowing from history. And those of you who don't know the history of the Black Wall Street massacre, it happened 100 years ago this year. Mm -hmm. May 31st, 1921, over 300 African-Americans were murdered, buried in mass graves right outside of Tulsa, Oklahoma, an area called the Greenwood District, which was one of the most prosperous African-American areas um, in the country. It was mm -hmm. one of the most peaceful, one of the most well-to-do, thriving businesses that were Black-owned, thriving individuals, homeownership, et cetera. And it was destroyed and burned to the ground. That's the focus of Regina King's show, The Watchmen. A lot of people who saw The Watchmen were like, wow, this is a crazy story. And they were like, well, it's a true story. And they're like, no, mm -hmm. that can't be true. It's not in any of our history books. There are only Absolutely two, true. two yeah. public school textbooks that talk about this. The, mm -hmm. the first time American citizens were ever bombed by the air was on American soil. It wasn't 9-11 and it wasn't Pearl Harbor. It was Oklahoma Air National Guard bombing these 36 acres and burning these things to the ground. It's Why? But why, why Hill, why did they, why? It all started with allegations against a black man, you know, vis-a-vis -vis a white woman, but it was ultimately used as an excuse to just destroy the entire area because folks were like, you know, these black folks are doing too well. So how can we destroy it and take all their money? Not one insurance claim has ever been paid. No reparations have ever been paid to the families. It's an incredible loss, mm. but I set out the challenge you know, I wrote a book called The Wealth Cure, which the cure part was to deal with the wealth gap. And it was a New York Times bestseller. 
And when I wrote it at the time, technology wasn't at a place where we could do some of the things that I wanted to do. And if you break down the success of what created community wealth in Black Wall Street, it was three pillars, institutional ownership, institutional trust by the community, and the movement of money or capital within the ecosystem where a dollar changed hands 60 to 100 times before it left the ecosystem. Right now, a dollar mm. leaves the Black community between six and seven hours. Why do you think that is? Well, there's so little institutional ownership within the community. And okay. there's also very little institutional trust. So therefore, the dollar right. What we're doing is we're trying to deal with the wealth gap. And what wealth gap we're trying to take on is that in 1863, when the Emancipation Proclamation was signed, Black people owned a little less than 1% of American wealth. In 2021, Black people in America still own a little less than 1% of American wealth. And you could say, well, Hill, how, how is that? We've had Madam C.J. Walker, the first Black female millionaire. We got LeBron James. We got Jay-Z. We got Robert Smith, a billionaire. We have Ken Chenault, who used to be the chairman of American Express. And yes, sure. And you could say, yeah, there are these outliers, these people who are doing extremely well. But there, yeah. the, the so amount of wealth that is out there is so vast that like, yeah, 10 20, 100 people, that's not even like a, yeah. Exactly. And, and, and there are so many systemic and deep-seated institutionally racist mm. barriers to entry for wealth right. building that exist. So our goal fun, just foundationally is to launch a platform that mirrors everything that was happening in Black Wall Street to create wealth, to deal with the wealth gap on a tech platform. Wow. Mirror the brick and mortar version of Black Wall Street on this tech platform. And it's not just for Black folk. But, it's, but, it, but our core and central focus is the racial wealth gap. And so-, so how, Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, like I'm, like I'm Pierce, okay. So there's a website somehow by interacting website with this website- Phone-based mobile app. And a phone-based mobile app. Okay, so it's gonna help people manage and save money, I imagine. And yes. maybe okay. learn to invest, learning yes. to invest. But how does it keep the money in the community? That I'm really curious about. This is how it does. So okay. you have to believe that digital currency is where we're headed. So you have Jack Dorsey as an example. Right. Twitter, Square, Twitter. Mm -hmm. Cash App. Jack Dorsey's out there saying Cash App is for the culture. He's hiring Megan the Stallion, who I love, to help support. Right. He's announcing a 500 Bitcoin giveaway with Jay-Z in Africa. He just bought Title, the last Black-owned streamer. He, Cash App and Square, Square just got its designation as an industrial bank. You could see where this is headed already. Yeah. Take a genius. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you get enough Black people to have this digital wallet called Cash App, you say, hey, right. it's okay. You can't afford to pay that bill. Go on, we'll pay it for you. You're just gonna have to pay this interest to us because now we're a we're an industrial bank. It's modern day payday lender. So they're gonna modern put people day, into debt slavery. Yeah. Boom. Great. You, the number one quote from my book, The Wealth Cures, you can't be free if the cost of being you is too high. How do we have high cost of people being, being them? You keep them in debt. debt. Mm -hmm. So I am launching alternative to Cash App for the black community. A digital wallet that allows you to invest in ascending assets, crypto assets, Bitcoin, et cetera, with a massive financial literacy and social component so you can learn what dollar cost averaging is. You can learn how to fix your credit score. You can learn about onboarding a budget and, and, and a plug and play budget application. We have to stop allowing people to come into the black community 
and offer predatory products that on the face look like, hey, we got your back, but on the back end are stripping money out of the community. Those payday things like lenders, payday loans, right? Yeah. Payday lenders, check return spots, rent to home spots, even traditional banks that come in the community. That's why Wells Fargo has a, there's a massive lawsuit yes. where you go into the community and you encourage folks to sign up for these uh, accounts and, and somebody has $800 in their in their account, but you're charging them $200, $250 a year in fees. How can you build wealth if that percentage of your account is being taken away in overdraft fees and you know they're gonna overdraft? That's the point. And so yeah. technology yeah. allow us to actually protect people from yeah. all of these hidden fees. 95% of, of the financial products offered in black and Latino communities are either predatory on their face or hidden predatory. We want to launch a platform that not only allows people to have super low cost access to full scope 360 financial services that they deserve right but also allow them to invest the money they save by not paying 18 percent to a payday lender that adds up to about 300 to 500 percent interest over a very short period of time well that's a wonderful thing that's a wonderful so, thing. I need users. So anybody who's listening, please go to theblackwallstreet.com and put your email in there. Sign up. I need you. We need support. We need people. And then it's good for you. Dollar cost average into Bitcoin on our platform. You know, set it and forget it. Can you gift accounts to younger people? Because like I want to I want to get accounts for my nieces, you know, like can you set them up? What yeah. we're setting up is a wallet where you can assign wallets within your wallet. So therefore, cool. if they're young, you don't yeah. have to. They don't, they don't have, you can't KYC them and do all the things that you need to do, but yeah. you can do it and you can hold the Bitcoin for them. And they oh, can great. go and see their little wallet and all that, but they can't, because part of the thing we have to protect people from is losing their Bitcoin keys. Because yeah. once you lose your keys, Bitcoin That's it. vanished. What about, what about like the valuation of Bitcoin? How are you going to protect people against fluctu fluctuations? Well, we, see, that's the point. That's why we encourage, we don't encourage trading. We're, we encourage dollar cost averaging. In other okay. words, we want you to set it and forget it. There's okay. no way that you could have bought Bitcoin if you held it for four years that you would have lost. So I want people thinking on a four, at minimum four-year time horizon. That's why I, want, I tell people Long -term. on our platform, it's not like Robinhood. Robinhood has encouraged people to trade and a lot of people are losing by yes. trying to ride the wave. No, yes. this is, if you can afford five bucks a week, set, set it up automatically on our platform, five bucks a week. If you can afford five bucks a day, set that 20 bucks a day, 20 bucks a week, whatever that is. So the fluctuation doesn't matter. It's really about the long-term time horizon. And Bitcoin, since it's a scarce asset, there's only 21 million Bitcoin that are broken down into 100 million Satoshis per Bitcoin. I just tell people, start stacking Satoshis. Don't okay. worry about the price of Bitcoin. 10 years from now, no one's even gonna be talking about Bitcoin. They're gonna be talking about Satoshis. Right, it's already over. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, Hill, wow. So this is great. So you're basically, you're building this, the Black Wall Street for future generations, for like Pierce and his friends, right? Because they're gonna come up they're going to come up understanding, right? Hopefully on my tombstone, it'll say, Hill Harper solved the racial wealth gap. That is awesome. That would be so awesome. You can do it. If Elon Musk can take on four completely different massive issues, yeah. then fuck it. Hill Harper can take on one. Let's go. Let's go.
The Black Wall Street, baby. Black cash matters. Let's go. All right. I'm ready. That sounds good to me. We got to do something. Yes. got to do something. In fact, Maya and Bill as well, you guys can go to theblackwallstreet.com right now today and put your email address in. So when we, I'm on the landing. I'm doing it right now. So when we launch, you'll get an email and I'm going to put some Satoshis into your wallet. The first set of people, I'm giving them free Satoshis. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, we're going to coach you up on the okay. Black Wall Street platform, and you're going to okay. feel really good about this idea of dollar cost averaging, because that's okay. that's the way to do it. And I'm so confident in dollar cost averaging into Bitcoin that I know if you have a four-year time horizon on whatever you're putting in, certainly if you're doing it for kids, your kids, right. Right. or on, on nieces, nephews, friends, kids, we will deal with this wealth gap. We will solve it. Yeah, great. Let's do it. It's going to be a better world. This has been awesome. Thank you so uh, much. Thank you so much, Hill. It's always great to see you. And I I need a date with Pierce. Yes, we'll make that yeah. happen. Oh, good. Do I get to spoil him? Oh, yeah, shoot. Yeah, he'll, he'll demand it. That I know how to do. All right. Well, thank you guys so much. All right. Thank you. Wonderful to see you. And congratulations on all the great work you're doing, Hill. Thank you. Thank you all for joining the conversation today. Remember, stay present and share your story. Stories bring us together, and together we all win. Stories from the Brink is produced by Billy Robinson, hosted by me, Maya Brown, music by Octopus Kid. Octopus Kid.